Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, February 23rd, we are studying John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. In today's text, as Jesus continues to teach using pastoral imagery, he speaks another one of his I am statements. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. Today's conversation gives us an opportunity to rejoice in the great comfort that is ours from these words of the Savior. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Oh, Brother Apple, thank you for having me. I am saddened that you are further away geographically from me, but I'm glad we can be close to each other here on the phone. God be praised for the opportunity to talk about John chapter 10 with you today, Pastor Hall. As we start, give us some context. What should we know about the Gospel of John and what Jesus has been teaching leading up to this text? I mean, it's hard for me to tell you much about the Gospel of John. You had Weinrich on and guys like that already that already told all these things. Um, I mean, who better to have than Dr. Weinrich, who's written the John commentary, talking about a lot of this stuff. And um, you look at John's Gospel— and Luther, you know, once said that he loves this gospel the most because it has the most words, the most sermons of Christ. Mm. You don't see as much of the miracles that are there. The miracles are there, but you, you have all of his sermons, all of his preaching, his teachings here in John. You have all these I am statements. You're like, I am the vine. You are the branches. I am the way and the truth and the life. You have, I am the bread of life. I am the uh, you have here today, I am the good noble shepherd. So it's just a wonderful depth, this beautiful, clear teaching on who is Jesus for you. You get the Agnus Dei from John, that John one twenty nine. So, so many of our liturgical songs, so much of how we confess Jesus is drawn from this good and very clear gospel made mention of a couple of the I am statements of Jesus. We saw one in yesterday's text. Jesus says, I am the door or the gate. Today he's going to say, I am the good shepherd. Remind us again of the significance of Jesus speaking this way. Why is it important for us to see him say, I am blank? What's the significance? Right. I mean, I am, that is that is God's name. I am. I am who I am. Remember, God said that to Moses from the burning bush. I am has sent you. So when Jesus calls himself, I am, he's not just saying it's an existence thing. Oh, I'm, I'm in a a thing that exists. What he's calling himself is God. I am the vine. You are the branches. I am this. So he is showing us who God is. Um, And when he calls himself, I am not just here, but like when you go to the garden of Gethsemane, where they say, we're here to get Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, Nazareth. And he doesn't just say it is I, or I am he, he says, I am 
and they fall to the ground. So, and that's why they try to stone him too. Remember in John eight before Abraham was, I am. And they want to stone him. They want to kill him. So when he says these things, he's telling us who he is and who is he? He is God. And this is who God is a vine door, good shepherd, bread of life. So it's fantastic. It certainly is. We're in that section of John 10 in which Jesus is speaking using this pastoral imagery, pastoral in the sense of shepherds and sheep. What are some of the Old Testament passages that we should keep in mind as we look at this text from Jesus today? Well, one of the first ones we go to is from Ezekiel. You know, I myself will seek them out. I myself will be their shepherd. I will carry them. You have God saying, I myself will do this. I'm going to do this numerous times. It's not you doing it. It's not you getting along with the program or following suit. It's God doing it for you. So you have that from Ezekiel. Then you have Psalm 23. The Lord shepherds me. I shall not be in want. You see David as the shepherd, right, who comes, who has defended the sheep and kills Goliath. You see this language throughout the Old Testament, but especially there in Ezekiel, Psalm 23, and then, of course, in the life of David, who is the ancestor of the Christ. One of the things we talked about yesterday with the first part of John 10 is that this is still in the context of the end of John chapter 9, in which Jesus is speaking to Pharisees who they didn't believe they were blind. So Jesus says, your guilt remains because of that. He's still speaking to them, and he's you know speaking in this pastoral imagery. And yesterday we saw about the thief, the robber. We're going to hear about hired hands and wolves today. How does that context of you know, knowing the Pharisees are a part of this audience, how does that help us to understand that part of what Jesus is saying? We usually think of this as a comforting text, and rightly so, but how does that context, knowing his enemies are there, also help us to, to gain insight into his words? Well, you have like a stranger. You know, they will not follow. One, one who is a hired hand, a thief, a robber, comes in to steal, and he starts going through this later, comparing them to a wolf. A wolf snatches the sheep. So the Pharisees, they, they don't care for your conscience. They don't care for your soul. They just want to seep life out of you. They want to drain you. And is that not what the false preacher does still today, is a wolf that drains? So when Jesus preaches this, it's comforting to those who are of the household of faith, to those who believe, warning as well, watch out for these, but it's also condemnation. Y'all are not the good shepherd. I am. You are not this. I am. There is no way of salvation outside of Christ. And there is no comfort outside of Christ alone. The comfort is in Christ alone. Not in, we even take, um, even take, you, you may have a lot of comfort in singing hymns, teaching, preaching, talking about God. And that's, that's great. But is the comfort in the act of doing that or in the one that you are singing about, the one who is forgiving you? Uh, that may seem tedious. Why make a distinction between Christ himself and then the act of theology? But it happens. That's how you get liberal theology. That's how you get false theology is when we forget who it's all about. It's Christ himself. So our, our love, our desire, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. We hunger and thirst after Christ. 
And only then do we have a right theology that truly comforts rather than seeps. Let's go ahead and turn to the text. We are in John 10, beginning at verse 11 this morning. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's our our text for today. That's John 10, verses 11 to 21. So, Pastor all we have words of Christ and then a reaction there at the end of the text. Our text starts with one of the most famous of the I am sayings. I suppose they're all pretty well known, but I think this one, I am the good shepherd, is mm-hmm. so often depicted in Christian art, and it's so very closely attached to Psalm 23 that perhaps this is the most well known. I don't know if I can make that claim or not, but it's an important one, no doubt. Help us to understand what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the good shepherd. Well, it's this, this word for good, and this word for good is kalos. And I may be pronouncing it wrong, kalos. I've never been good with the, the, the pronunciation marks. I remember uh, Dr. Nordling at Fort Wayne would always get mad at me for butchering pronunciation of Greek words. And I told him, dude, I'm from Georgia. I, I mispronounce English words all the time. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, so let's just be thankful I can read this stuff. But when you look at how we translate this, good is a way to translate it. But what does it mean to be good? Well, usually we go with like moral. I'm the moral or I'm the noble. I'm the good shepherd that way. And, and Jesus is indeed. He is the only moral one. He is the only one that is perfectly obedient to the law to the point of death, even death on a cross, as we read that he is that one. He is the only one that actually can carry us through the portal to life immortal because he is the only one that is good, the only one that is holy and virtuous and moral. He is the only one. And in that, another way of translating this word kalos, and you, you couldn't find it, you can find it in lexicons, you know, Greek, big Greek dictionaries. Uh, you got to do some digging, but one way I translate it is I am the right and needed shepherd. Mm-hmm. I'm the correct one. There's there's no other shepherd. This is the only one. And it's interesting, another place we see this word kalos is actually in Luke 8, the parable of the sower. When you go through all the soils, it says the seed fell into the good soil, and it's that kalos word again. It's the needed soil. It's That's the condition of the person. So you need to be in a certain condition to receive the word of God. You can't be hardened 
or or shallow or anxious about the world all the time. The word will never do it. It will be gone in the blink of an eye. Rather, you must be humbled. You, he who humbles himself will be exalted. He who exalts himself will be humbled. That only in that state of humility, that state of nothingness, that I have nothing to offer, do we then actually receive the word of God and bear fruit a hundredfold. Mm. So we see this word kalos here when Jesus calls us, I am the needed shepherd. I am the right shepherd. I am the moral. And I'm right and needed because I am the only good one. Because mm. good is, is a word we hear all the time. So you ask, how's the meal? Oh, it's good. Meaning I can, I can, I can stomach it, <laughs> you know, because um, if it's really good, you'll say things like amazing or it's delicious or it's, it's delightful. Um, or, you know, what do you, what do you think about this person? Always a good person, a good friend. What does it mean to be good is one who's moral We're only moral will only good in he who is the good one, Christ. Mm-hmm. And how do we know his goodness inevitably is his only one time that has ever happened and ever will happen, sacrificial death on the cross for us. Yeah, and that's what Jesus brings out as he elaborates on what this means. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Before we talk more about his sacrifice laying down his life for the sheep, I, I do want to respond a little bit to what you're saying about good because I think that's a very helpful comment for us so that we understand what Jesus is saying. It's not good only in the sense that he does what is righteous, what is morally good, but good in the sense that he does what is needed. Maybe another way of of saying it, he's the complete shepherd as opposed to all the incomplete Mm -hmm. ones, those who maybe do a few things that you need him to do, but not everything. Only Jesus is the complete one, the one that does absolutely everything that you need. He's the only one who can do the job, not only well, but fully. That makes him the good shepherd. I think you used the term noble earlier, the the excellent yeah. shepherd, the the one who who does the job. He's the only one who who can fit the bill. And again, that brings in the Old Testament context that you were bringing up from Ezekiel and Jeremiah as well, that these other faithless shepherds had been around. And so the Lord says, no, I'm going to be the shepherd. And now Jesus calling himself the good shepherd, the noble, the needed, the complete shepherd. He's saying all of that was talking about me and here I am now as this good shepherd. Well, exactly. Every single shepherd leading up to him is a foreshadowing of them. They have that. Look at David. David is a good shepherd, <laughs> mm. but does he shepherd Israel completely and pro- and rightly? No, he, he sends, he fails and Christ does not. Yeah. Everyone, everything points to Christ. Even your pastor he is, he is a, he can be a, a small part of Christ. The office in which he stands is perfect but your pastor himself is flawed and he may have aspects of himself that remind you of who Jesus is for you. He's a patient person or a brave person or a sacrificial person, but you're never going to get all these things rolled up into one man, you know, unless you're Timothy Apple, no. you know, but, uh, but that's very few and far between. We, you're not going to find them. Um, so There's only one good shepherd, pastor Hull. <laughs> thanks be to God. I tell that's you, right. ah, God be but that's but no, that's the the beautiful part. He's the he's the only one needed. He's the correct shepherd. Hmm. He's the right shepherd. That's who he is. All other ones are false. He is correct. He's right. 
That's right. And so he he says then what makes him the good shepherd very specifically. I suppose there's any number of things we could point to, but the thing that Jesus points to, he's the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. Why is that the qualification for this office that Jesus gives here? Well, and look at even when he says life, it's this word suke, which is it's more than just okay, I die. You know, I'm willing I'm willing to stop my heart beating for you. He, he's giving up everything. On the cross, he cries out, why have you forsaken me, Father? You know, he's giving it all up on the cross. On the cross, you don't just find a guy dying. You find God and man made manifest dying for you. So he gives all of it up on the cross. Everything is laid down there for you. God lays down everything on the cross for you. So that is why he is the right and correct needed one, because other men died for the church. I mean, Peter died sacrificially for the church. Paul did, too. So did St. Andrew. All these martyrs did. Many men and women died for the faith, died even to protect others. But Christ isn't just a guy. He's God in the flesh who's done it. So the suke helps us see that even to a greater extent, that he's giving it all up on the cross for you. And that's why he's the correct one. It's not just a guy showing a sacrificial example. It's God dying because of that personal union of the divine and human natures in the person of Jesus. Thinking about Jesus laying down his own life for the sheep and then connecting it to the imagery that Jesus uses of the shepherd and the sheep, this has always been a little bit surprising to me at least when I pause to think about it, because when you think about a shepherd and what he does to protect sheep in an earthly sense, usually right. he's using a staff to like hit the animals or he's standing up to anyone who's trying to get up in an, into the fold and trying to steal sheep or he's throwing rocks you know, at, at the lions like David would have, but he's not usually dying for them. That's usually not the way that a shepherd would protect a sheep, at least as I think about it in an earthly sense, you really want the shepherd to stay alive and then he can protect the sheep. Talk a little bit about that unexpected way that Jesus acts as the good shepherd in giving up his life, and that's what protects the sheep. Well, and that's, it's one, it's a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, Genesis 3.15, you will bruise his heel and he shall crush your head. Mm -hmm. But how is the victory done? It's not in the way we think the victory should be done. Jesus doesn't overcome sin, death, world, and the power of the devil how we think he should do it. He does it by it's a sword going against a sword. Death destroys death. How does he overcome sin? He assumes all the sin and lays down everything and satisfies the wrath of the Father. So he dies because that is the ultimate way to save us. He dies so that we need not die. His death has destroyed death. What do we say in Romans 6? As we are united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly rise with him in a resurrection like his. So Jesus could have just fought, given us good teachings, and then gone about our, his way. But no, he, he, it all points back to his death. That's our assurance and confidence. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Nagel that said it, if you can take the cross, the death of Christ out of your sermon and still preach it, you need to rewrite your sermon. And that's with Christ. You take the death out, the life of Christ doesn't matter. He's just a miracle man. 
it all points to his death. All of it leads to that because that's how he ultimately protects us is taking death's threats away, closing up hell, opening up heaven and removing the devil's fangs. He can gum you to death now, but that's about it. So Jesus, as the good shepherd, lays down his life for the sheep. He does absolutely everything that is needed to save the sheep. That is what distinguishes him as the good shepherd. As Jesus continues, he brings in two other figures into the way that he is teaching here. He talks about a hired hand and then a wolf. Those are the two other characters in this story or parable from Jesus. So let's first talk about the hired hand. What does Jesus say about the hired hand? What is he saying about our life as Christians? When you look at him, continue going, says he was a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. So this one is what does it mean to be a sheep of God as you're owned, you're bought, you're purchased. You, you belong to somebody. You belong to the Father because of Christ. And all these others are trying to steal you away from him. You are not your own being anymore. Um, you're not freed from the devil, and then you go about doing your own thing. You are bound to the Father. You are his, and he is yours. Remember, Jesus says that to Mary Magdalene. I go to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. We are now bound to him. So when we see he does not own the sheep— it's like, well, someone does own me. I've been bought. I've been purchased. And when you purchase uh, a lamb or you purchase a calf or you purchase a horse, you take care of them. So knowing that the father owns, the shepherd owns the sheep, there is the assurance that we are taken care of, that both body and spirit, we have nothing to worry about because all things are taken care of by Christ. Mm-hmm. And all these other ones, they don't want to take care of you. They want to drain you. They want to get something from you. What is the wolf? It wants your flesh. So does the devil. And the devil wants, literally wants your flesh. <laughs> he wants to, to claim you. He wants you to, to fall into debaseness, to, to be disgusting. Um, it's like the movie Seven. It's not a movie you watch more than once because you see the depravity of man. And it makes you feel weird. It makes you feel uneasy. But that's that's what it means to be devoured by the wolf is when you look at yourself, you should be uneasy and not want to see it again. And all you want to see is the shepherd is Christ. So how does the the hired hand play into that? Because I think the the wolf is pretty easy for us as we think about, you know, the devil wants our flesh. He wants to drag us down into eternal damnation, as, as you were saying. So when we see that, we know the wolf and what he wants, but who's the hired hand? How does he come into play in all this? Well, the hired hand you see here is like a false teacher, false preacher. Um, it's not your fellow brother and sister in Christ. When Christ is preaching, these are the Pharisees. Devil is the wolf, the hired hand are the Pharisees. They're the ones that aren't pointing to the good shepherd that aren't pointing to God alone, his mercy, his grace. Uh, but instead we'll point to something else as a means of ownership, a means of assurance of protection. I'm protected. We even take faith. Can, can faith become a God? Well, yeah, if you, you're always just saying my faith is good. My faith is strong. 
No, faith is in something. Faith is not in itself. Faith's object is Christ, his forgiveness and grace. So the hired hand doesn't point to those things. The hired hand flees and runs because when the wolf comes for him, there's nothing to fall back on. His own theology is weak, is vulnerable, and doesn't offer any refuge. So the, the hired hand acts and talks a good game, perhaps. But when push comes to shove, his theology can't do anything for him or for you because he hasn't founded that on Christ. And I think what's important to see is that the hired hand doesn't always look as outwardly menacing as especially the wolf. Oh, no. You know? Yeah. The wolf, you know he's the bad guy. But the hired hand, you don't find out he's the bad guy, or at least he's not on the right side, until you're in danger, and that's when he deserts you. Well, and every pastor has to watch out lest he become a hired hand. Hmm. Uh, doxology is a beautiful understanding of the pastor as the sheepdog. You know, we're not, we are not the shepherd. A lot of pastors call themselves under-shepherd. You know, I'm the under-shepherd to the good shepherd, and, and that's fine and dandy. Sheepdog is even better because your job is to do whatever the shepherd tells you to do. Your job is to have one ear to the, the shepherd and one ear to the sheep and always watching out for the wolf. When you look at the hired hand, it's the one that, well, what do I preach? Well, what do people want to hear? What do people want to hear? Well, that sermon really, that made people upset. I'm not going to preach that again. And by that, I don't mean just certain sins like, oh, you preached about divorce or you preached about abortion or homosexuality or transgenderism. I'm talking about you forgave sins even. You forgave someone that everyone thinks shouldn't be forgiven. And we all say, oh, well, pastor, we always think everyone should be forgiven. Well, there's certain people you don't think should be forgiven at least as quickly as you are mm. um, with as little strings attached. But that hired hand is so easy to become because why? You, it says in the text you care nothing for the sheep. The pastor is there to be emptied for the sake of the flock, not to take from the flock. Um, I don't know how you are, Brother Apple, but Sunday morning is probably the most exhausting time for me as a pastor. I know some guys say it rejuvenates. It, it gives them nourishment. And I guess just personally, I don't get that. And it's not because I'm drowned and dreary or, oh, I'm so sad. Not that, but... My job is to be emptied, to just hand so much Christ out that by the time I'm done, it's like I've been filling sandbags for flood victims all day. Um, I go home and I collapse because you've done what you're supposed to do. Made sure everyone knows who the good shepherd is so that they are protected from the wolf. Um, like October is one of the worst months, isn't it? Why is that? Because it's pastor appreciation month. <laughs> You know, I don't need to be appreciated. I mean, it, the more that happens, I go, oh, yeah, I'm doing No, it's you won't see the results until you're in paradise. And then by the time you're there, you're only going to care about one person you see. And that's Christ, <laughs> that's right. the father. I mean, so when you look at this hired hand business, it's also a warning to pastors today. Watch lest you care more about getting something out of the sheep than just caring for the sheep. Yeah, and that's so. always a fine line to walk because what is what is your pastor? A a fallen sinful man just like everyone else is. Mm, that's and right. it's easy to 
rely on that stuff. Yeah, your your pastor is is one of those who needs the good shepherd just as much as you do. And and there is there is very great joy for the pastor to be a sheep of the good shepherd. We're going to keep talking about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about John chapter 10 with Pastor Chris Hull this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, February 23rd. We're studying John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21 with Pastor Chris Hull. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, prior to the break, we were talking about the hired hand as Jesus speaks about him here in John chapter 10. And you were making the point that this serves as a warning for pastors, lest we would become hired hands, those who are in it only for ourselves rather than looking out for the sheep. And it's it's well appreciated. This is something that pastors certainly do well to take to heart and repent as needed. At the same time, we talked a little bit about this yesterday in the previous section of John chapter 10. That as you as you look at the way Jesus speaks here, never in this section does he really give a character within the parable that identifies, say, the faithful preachers. You know, you, it's hard to find John the Baptist here. It's hard to find Jeremiah the prophet or Isaiah the prophet or Moses or Noah in here. And we talked about that yesterday, and maybe the reason for that is because in this section there is only one good shepherd period. And you need, as a faithful Christian, to be one of his sheep, period. And I think given what we were saying about the temptation for pastors to become hired hands, there is great comfort in that truth that within this section, the most important thing for a pastor to be is a sheep of the shepherd. As you were saying earlier, that someone owns me. I belong to Jesus. He is my shepherd. I am his sheep. And and what you were saying about doxology and thinking about the pastor as a sheepdog, I think is a fantastic thing for pastors. At the same time, within the context of John 10, I, I love the comfort that's there that right here, it's enough for me to be one of the sheep and to look to Jesus as my shepherd and, and to have comfort knowing that he has redeemed me as a sinful human being just as much as he redeemed this congregation he's given me to serve. Well, Exactly. And think of it, though, and this is the fun part. Uh, you're very good about posting uh, stuff on Facebook about being in church. You you do it in such a good way that you're saying it so nicely, but you're also insulted. It's so beautiful. I love it. I can't do that. I just say, come to church. Stop it. 
And but why do we say it? Because there is immense need. It's it's necessary to be in church regularly as one of the dear little lambs of Jesus. You need this. You need to be in church every Sunday, not whenever you're feeling down or once in a while, but every Sunday, week in and week out. You need, you should be in more than that even. This is the bare minimum to be a Christian is to come to church on Sunday. And that's the thing is if you never if you only come twice a year, guess what? I'm not impressed. Being here every Sunday is the bare minimum as a Christian. That's not the ultimate. Like, oh, I did it. No, you didn't. You showed up for an hour. We're very thankful you did. Christ is thankful you did. You have been fed and nourished, but don't act like you're good to go now. So now we apply that to the pastor. How many hours a year do you and I go to church where we are just fed and nursed as those we have been entrusted to care for? I mean, it's rhetorical, but also honest, right? Like how, how often do you take Sunday off and just go to church Not or during the week go to church? And I've heard some, oh, that's what a circuit's for. You know, you go to, well, that's once a month I have a circuit meeting, you know? And the thing is, does your pastor need to be in church just as much or even more than you? Hmm. Yeah. And yet he doesn't get that. I told people I used, I love going to church. I love being in church. I said, it should be a rotation that your pastor gets two solid months off every year just to go to church. Give him that at least. You know, let him go to church and be fed. And yeah, sitting with the family, that's all, all those things. But I'm talking about having that father confessor, hearing the sermons, receiving the sacrament next to everybody else at the rail, and just being refreshed in the forgiveness of your sins. Because what you and I do most week is self-care. Um, I don't have a pastor checking in on me once a week, you know. Brothers in Christ, sure, Father Confessor, when I go to him, but that's needed. You're right. We are the sheep. But I would I would venture to say, and this is maybe a bad statement, maybe you'll get a maybe a handful of phone calls about this. Pastors are probably the worst sheep because we don't actually go to church. Now, some guys say, Well, I preach to myself. No, you don't. That's David. He tried that too. Didn't go too well for him. He needed Nathan. And I'm I'm much worse than David. I need a Nathan. Um, so I agree with you. We are sheep, but if we're going to have that, we have to be able to do it the same way we teach others to do it. Yeah. Your, yeah. your pastor needs someone, another pastor, to point him to that good shepherd, to the only one who has laid down his life and taken it back up again for all sinners, for pastors included. A helpful reminder for us pastors to be cared for, to have a pastor, to listen to the good shepherd, to hear his voice and rejoice in it. Let's keep talking about Jesus here <laughs> as he as he identifies himself as the good shepherd again in verse 14. Now he says, I know my own and my own know me just as I know, or excuse me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So he repeats his his knowledge of the sheep, his laying down his life for the sheep. In verse 16, he talks about other sheep that aren't of this fold that he needs to bring. Who's he talking about there? Well, you talk about the Gentiles first, right? Because he's talking to Jews here. So he's talking about Gentiles, those who have not heard the word yet. I'm bringing them in too. And Jesus will speak to some Gentiles, but it's really through Peter, Paul, especially, that the Gentiles are brought into the fold, the flock. 
that they may know Christ and Christ may know them. And, and to know is not just a head knowledge here. Oh, I know who Jesus is. You know, he's the guy from Nazareth that, that fed 5,000, walked on water, raised Lazarus, and it rose from the dead. But to know Jesus is to, to be in relationship, to experience. Look at um, uh, the Old Testament, like uh, Samuel. Remember, Samuel is working with Eli, and it says in, oh, I can't remember what chapter it is, maybe three or four, says he did not yet know the Lord because the Lord had not made himself known to Samuel. It's like, well, how is he serving and doing all this stuff if he doesn't know? You know, He has to know who God is. So that makes no, what, what does this mean to know the Lord? Is to be in relationship with him, to, to live with him and to die with him. That's what it means for Christ to know you. He lived with us. He lived and suffered all of our sin and died for us. And now we live in Christ and die with Christ and we live with him unto eternity and others are being brought into that all the time by that same voice. Now it's not through Christ incarnate here in his humiliated state, but through the office of the Holy ministry and through the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. So Christ is bringing more sheep into his one flock. This this verse speaks of adding the Gentiles and now the continued mission that the church has in the world to proclaim the gospel to all nations so that they would be joined together in this one flock. I've, I've actually heard this verse used before, Pastor Hull, as a, a way to try to justify many different paths to to the truth as if, oh, mm. Jesus says, well, there are other sheep that belong to me and they're not of this fold as a way to try to justify then, well, maybe you don't have to be a Christian to be saved. But when you read Jesus' words in context, he's actually saying the exact opposite. <laughs> he's, yeah. All well, people that, who would be be- saved come to him. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, and that's the beauty of John 14, verse 6. We read the whole scriptures, not just a chapter. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah. So... You, you can, that scripture interprets scripture. So you have the context itself of John 10, and then to back that up, you have John 14, which kind of solidifies it. Yeah, that's right. So Jesus is speaking here that he has others who are not currently listening to his voice. They are listening to a different voice, but he too will call them so that they would listen to his voice with faith. Talk more about that that language of Jesus, the idea of listening to his voice and recognizing his voice, following his voice. How does that happen? Why is that so important? What's interesting with this with this listening is this word akuo or akuso, they will listen. And uh, you see this uh, word, uh, if you're a three-year person, you'll get it in a couple weeks with the transfiguration. Uh, when the Father speaks from the cloud, at least it was recorded in Matthew 17, akuete autu, hear him. And listen and hear. Listen has more of a, like, you 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 hear the person, you do what they say. Mm-hmm. They will listen to my voice, so they're going to do what they might say. But, but this hearing is, I only hear Jesus. I don't hear the world. I don't hear the devil. I don't hear these things. I, I'm deaf to them. I only hear Jesus. I, I'm, I'm deafened to the, the voice inside my head that says I'm worthless. Yeah, we're all equally worthless. That's what the law reminds us of. But we don't listen to that voice. We listen to the voice of Jesus who says, I love you and I forgive you. And I claim you. We only hear his voice. So when I translate this passage, I always say they will hear my voice. But then you have to define what does it mean to hear is you hear only my voice. 
they're not going to hear any other voices. They hear just that one. It's like uh, a mom's voice cutting through a big crowd. You can you, all of a sudden you hear that one voice because you recognize it. You know it. You've experienced the the great the because that's a mom's voice isn't just recognizing the tone. It's it's the person behind the voice too. It's that voice defines the person. The voice of Christ is the voice of peace and forgiveness and mercy. So when you hear his voice, that's what you know is there for you. And there are all those other voices that are out there, the voice of the hired hand, the voice of the wolf, those who would draw you away from Christ. And again, sometimes those voices don't sound all that bad. Maybe the the hired hand has some words that you kind of like to hear, words that maybe even sound religious. But when push comes to shove, when your life is threatened and you need that comfort, the voice of the hired hand doesn't have it. The voice of the wolf doesn't have it. Only the voice of the good shepherd has it. And as you were talking earlier, Pastor Hull, about the importance for Christians to be in the divine service on a regular basis, this is one of the main reasons why that's true, is because we need to hear the shepherd's voice, and we need to learn to recognize the shepherd's voice, because there are so many other voices in this world that would threaten us, and so often it's the ones that sound good that are the most harmful and the most dangerous to us. How else will we come to know the voice of the shepherd unless we are constantly listening to him, and that happens regularly in the divine service? Well, and that's, it's, I was talking with a member one time about stoicism, specifically uh, philosophers like Marcus Aurelius and things like that. And he said, you know, there's a lot of similarities between this and what we do on Sunday. I said, tons of similarity uh, because you have hints of this. The truth is always uh, spread throughout. There's hints of it in everything, but you don't have the fullness of it. So that stoic philosophy that you read, you're reading that as one who has already been claimed on Sunday morning. So that's still a hired hand. That's still a, uh, another teaching, another doctrine that will abandon you in your hour of deepest need. I have, Luther said, we have to exercise well to know how we are justified, not in our hour of deep need, but when we are safe, so that when the trial comes, we may be able to withstand it because we know who Christ is and who we are in him. You don't try to figure it out on your deathbed. Like deathbed conversions, I don't think they exist because – you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're you're not going to all of a sudden just wait and go, ah, oh, this is what it's all about. Now it may happen. I can't say any, it doesn't happen to people. I, I've never been to heaven. I don't know who's there. But why would you do this all of a sudden? It, it, it makes very little sense because you're not going to just say, okay, this philosophy or worldview makes sense more than the other ones do. Christianity makes no sense. It is truth that surpasses all understanding, and yet it's Christ who guards and keeps it for you. So, One of the things that we kind of skipped over but comes back up is the relationship between the Father and the Son. In verse 15, Jesus says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, that is the same way that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And then in verse 17, Jesus speaks about this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Talk about this relationship between the Father and the Son and how it factors into what Jesus is saying here. 
Well, it comes back to that knowing again. It's not just that Jesus knows information about the Father. Like, oh, this is our likes and dislikes. He he prefers romantic comedies over gangster movies, and he's a dark chocolate instead of a milk chocolate fan. That's not what's being talked about here. Uh, to know the Father is to experience, to live in relationship with the Father and the Father with the Son. And why does the Father love the Son? Is because the Son carries out the will of the Father, which is that no one be condemned but all be saved. And the Son carries that out. In the Jordan River, he's baptized, anointed, and he is the sin bearer, as John will say later. That takes away the sin of the world. The Father delights in this. That's his joy, is his Son as the sin bearer. And you see that here, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I lay it down and I will take it up. Um, the Father delights in the work of atonement. That the Father makes, not the Father, the Son makes all in him at one with the Father. So the, the Father delights that Jesus is the sin bearer at his baptism. Here in John chapter 10, the Father delights that Jesus is the one who lays down his life and takes it up again. One of the things that comes through as Jesus speaks about this is that he lays his life down of his own accord. He does that by his own authority. Talk about the willingness of Jesus. You talk about the joy of the Father. There's also then, I think, the joy and the willingness of the Son and display here. Well, and that's the thing. The Son is not forced to do this. He desires to. He delights in it. Your salvation is his will as well. The Son's will does not conflict with the Father's. It is a joyful, you have it in like uh, hymn 556, dear Christians, one and all rejoice. Uh, the son obeyed his father's will, was born a virgin mother, and God's good pleasure to fulfill, he came to be my brother. His royal power disguised, he bore a servant's more form like mine, he wore to lead the devil captive. You know, the son does this, he's been sent to this, he delights in it. Uh, there's nothing that gives him more joy. Uh, like you watch the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Uh, that's a cinema movie about Jesus's death. I've seen that uh, one. Mel Gibson. Okay, good, good, good. Um, but you have that part where they bring the cross to him. You see Jesus like hugging it almost like this is, this is what I came to do. And uh, who was I? I was reading someone. I can't remember who was talking about even how the crucifix looks. You have a disfigured Christ disfigured by our sins, but you look at the face and it's like this, this uh, Debbie Downer. And, he is uh, the man of sorrows, but he's also the king of peace. His face is that of peaceful contentment, joyful fulfillment, because on the cross, that's what he's done. He's done what he was sent to do, and he cries out, it's finished. I've done it for you, <laughs> and he doesn't do it uh, bitterly or angrily or to guilt you. He does it to free you that you can live with him forever, so it's, it's, it's fantastic. The other hymn that comes to my mind when we think about the willingness of Jesus is number 438 in Lutheran service book, A Lamb Goes Uncomplaining Forth. Yes, where, where Gerhardt. Paul Gerhardt says in stanza three, yes, Father, yes, most willingly, I'll bear what mm -hmm. you command me. My will yes. conforms to your decree. I'll do what you have asked me. Those words are, are spoken by the Son in that hymn, I think, right. perfectly with what Jesus is saying here. Exactly. Well, and that's why Gerhardt gets it. That's how Luther gets it. And that's what that's what your pastor preaches to you week in and week out is the joy of Christ doing his work for you. Mm. That's what every Sunday is about is the joy of Christ doing his work so that you may be his. 
Now, our text, our text for today concludes with some conversation among the Jews. There's a division based on what Jesus has said. Some think that Jesus is demon-possessed and crazy and therefore don't bother listening to him. Other people aren't quite as convinced. They say, well, he doesn't really sound like someone who's demon-oppressed. And could someone who has a demon open the eyes of the blind? Talk about these different reactions to Jesus that we see in this last couple verses. Well, there's always going to be reaction to the Word of God. There's always reaction to Christ. You're never going to have someone just go, eh. It's kind of like when someone says you either love him or you hate him, and that's Jesus. You either love him or you hate him. There's no, there's no lukewarmness. There's no middle ground. You either say yes, this is this is the one, or no, he's he's a fool. Uh, what was it Lewis said? Uh, he's either. Remember when he's talking about Jesus and um, wow. Oh, yeah. I think you know C.S. Lewis about? is the one who, who said you either have to say Jesus is a liar, that he was right. purposely deceiving people, he was a lunatic, he just was crazy, didn't know what he was talking about, or he was Lord. And those are really the only right. three options that are open to Liar, us. lunatic, Lord, yeah. And thank you for that. I would, that would have taken me a while to get to. And I would have gotten to it after we got off the phone, and then I would have been very confused all day. Well, see, um, I, I learned that one when I wasn't watching movies. It's, oh, 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 look at you uh, kicking a brother while he's down, I tell you. I, I empty myself out earlier saying I want to go to church more, and then you kick me. I tell you, Brother Apple. I tell you. God bless uh, you, we, Mr. Holt. I thought we were, oh, thank you, thank you. Thank you, I needed that. <laughs> but, but that's the thing, right? You either say he's a liar. Okay, this guy fibbed, fooled everybody, and, and he, he made money off of it. You know, that's why Judas carried the money bag and all that and expensive ointments and all that used on his feet and hair. Or, or he's a lunatic. This dude's nuts. You know, he is from Nazareth, and nothing good can come out of Nazareth. You know, a bunch of lunatics there. Or he's Lord. And how do we know he's Lord? Because he's risen, and he's risen indeed. Hallelujah! And you know, it's Jesmatide for me. I said that. I said that word. Goodness gracious! Well, um, um, you and, know. And this this show is airing the day after Ash Wednesday, even so. Oh goodness but, gracious! So I'm really in trouble now. Oh free, no! Freedom in Christ Everyone, to say Hallelujah, Pastor. All your district. Actually, Luther said that in one of his sermons. Eat as much butter and say it as much as you want during Lent. That's a paraphrase of Luther, by the way, not a direct quote. But um, but that's the thing is, he, he, this is who he is. He's risen, and he's our Lord. Uh. But you either think he's one of these three things. You're definitely not just going to go, meh, whatever. Hmm. You're either going to say no or by faith alone, this is who he is. Because no one calls Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. And, and the whole point of John writing this down for us is so that we would believe that he is Lord, or as he says in chapter 20, that we would believe he is the Christ, the Son of God, and through faith have life in his name. The people here aren't there yet. Some are just out and out opposed, and we've seen that opposition building in John's gospel. But there are those who are at least listening and aren't quite as sure. They they want to hear more. They're, they're not really sure how someone who can speak this way and open the eyes of a blind man could really have a demon, but they need to keep listening. And, and so do we. There's always need for us to listen to the voice of Jesus, to hear the answer that he gives about who he is, and to believe that answer. I've mentioned this several times during this series. Those first words that you hear from Jesus in John chapter 1 in this gospel, what are you seeking? What are you seeking from Jesus? That question continues to be answered for us as we hear Jesus teach so that we would seek what he has come to give. Here in John 10, what has he come to give? His life for the sake of the sheep. But not only to 
to take it or to lay it down, but also to take it up again. Talk, we, we kind of skipped over that again, Pastor Hall, but talk about that importance. Why is it important that Jesus not only lays his life down, but takes it up again? Well, that he may not be dead. He's risen. He's that risen indeed. He's, yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. He, he, that's what he's come to do for us. That though we die, yet shall we live for everyone who lives and believes in Jesus Christ shall never die. Uh, you will not see death. Yes, you will die. You will stop breathing here, but that's your temporal life. You have an eternal one in Christ, so your body will be raised. So Jesus not only had to die so that death is no more, he also had to give life to be the firstborn of all creation. So he is the first one that is risen eternally because others were raised. Lazarus was raised. The widow of Nainson was raised. All these were raised, but they eventually died. Christ uh, died to sin once for all. Now living, he lives to God. Death has no more dominion over him. And now we are in him, so that shall happen for us as well. Pastor Hall, we have about two minutes left in the morning. Help us to wrap things up. Give us the good news from the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the shepherd you need in every situation. You're anxious, he's going to carry you through it. You're depressed, He's going to carry you through this. You are overcome by lust. He's going to carry you through this. You're overcome by greed and envy. He's going to carry you through this. You are overcome by your anger, by your outbursts, by your past, present, and your concerns for the future. He's going to carry you through this. He is your shepherd that's there in every time of need. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. The wolf's not going to get you. The hired hands don't have you. You're Christ, and he is yours forever. So take heart. You have been brought into his fold, and those he has claimed, he will carry unto eternity, because all that the Father has put in his hands, not one has been snatched out, and that one is you. You are his beloved little lamb that will be carried by Jesus himself through this valley of sorrow unto the realm immortal. Thanks be to God for that. Pastor Chris Hull is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. He's been helping us today to study John chapter 10, verses 11 to 21. Pastor Hull, thanks for being our guest today. Brother Apple, always a pleasure. Keep up the good work. The devil hates your guts for it, but hey, Jesus delights in you, brother. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He is your shepherd, dear Christian. He has laid down his life for you, and he has taken it back up again to be the needed shepherd, the one who has done everything for your salvation hear his voice, and rejoice to be his own. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the gospel according to St. John, we'd love to hear from you. Please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. You can also go on to your favorite app store and download the KFUO app. There you will find an opportunity to send us a message through the open mic feature. Either way, it's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.